the St. Louis Board of Aldermen just underwent a major turnover. And one of the newest members believes that fresh blood can provide fresher perspectives. Alderman Brandon Bosley of the Third Ward joins us on another edition of Politically Speaking, so let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, a candid conversation with the Show Me State's biggest political newsmakers. I'm Jason Merzenbaum. And I'm Joe Manis. That's Eric Greitens, Navy <laughs> SEALs running for governor, and I'm really, really glad to be on with you, Jason and Joe. I'm going to push back on these regulators. I'm doing this for the people. I was encouraged along the way, not just by my family, but by a lot of teachers and professors and knew when I was in college that I would run for office someday. We're very excited about the prospect of having some more free market solutions. Even though after the conversation, I still might not agree. We want our listeners to get a real sense of what drives these people. They're actually people with a story to tell. And welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today, filling in for a vacationing Joe Manis, we have... Rachel Lippman, reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. And continuing our series of interviewing the the newest members of the Board of Aldermen, we have as our very special guest today... Brandon Bosley. How's everybody doing? We're doing great. Yeah. How are you doing today? I woke up this morning. You can't complain when you're doing that. I'll tell you that. I I, I feel the same way. I woke up early and I can attribute it to, uh, well, being... Uh, predisposed to wake up early. So, uh, <laughs> you're not going to put the blame on Brandon for this one? <laughs> no. Brandon actually outslept me today. Is uh, outslept a word? It is now. Oh, it is. Well, we're, we're, st- we're starting off this podcast great. Um, before, we, before we get into your background and any issues, tell our listeners the, the, the boundaries and what neighborhoods encompass the Third Ward. Uh, the boundaries of the Third Ward are really, really weird, like most wards right now, because we're well, not right now, just period. The way the redistricting is, it's, it's weird. So if you just have to put it in kind of a box, I would say from Salisbury in 70 uh, to about Salisbury, I'm sorry, from to college uh, and all the way over to about Cass and about St. Louis Avenue. It's 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 weird. It's the way it is. It's it's really boxed off. But it is the heart of the North Side. I was just gonna say, is it? I I think that maybe the second ward, maybe the the biggest as far as geography. Yours has to be up there because I've seen a map of it before, mm-hmm. and it looks pretty sizable. It is really big. Yeah, really big. But I think the same amount of people as every other ward. Has basically. to be right. Rules, yeah. Oh, so um. As people probably can guess by your last name, you, your family is not necessarily newcomers to politics, but you are. This is the first time you've ever run for anything. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you did before you ran for office this year, and anything else people should know about Brandon Bosley. Uh, well, I've actually worked for the city of St. Louis, uh, not directly before uh, I ran for office. Um, what I've always been interested in is computers, the way that things work. So that is what I've always done. I like to take things apart, put them back together. Um, I do computer programming. I make games uh, for Google or on Google that I place on Google. Um, and that's that's pretty much been what I've been doing uh, to occupy my time. That's you know what I enjoy to do. What did you do for the city uh, specifically? Uh, well, I worked at every parking garage that the city had. Oh, wow. Um, so learned a lot about um, the way the city works as far as parking, uh, the parking division period. Um, and I've worked all the way from being a manager of a, a city hall all the way down to helping out with maintenance work and to being a meter maid. And uh, so I you know, have a pretty, pretty, really, really well-rounded uh 
idea of how the city works as I, well, far as parking. Just, I think I think every city of St. Louis resident probably has their their parking story. Um, I, I to be honest though, since they instituted the app where you can just yeah. go in your phone and and you know put a certain amount of time in, I really haven't had much trouble with parking in St. Louis. It's a lot less expensive than Chicago oh, or God. New York yeah. or other cities. Everything mm-hmm. is more less expensive than parking <laughs> in Chicago. But 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 I think that the uh, city hall parking lot only recently started taking credit cards. Is that true? Uh, that a couple is years true. ago. Yeah. 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 Be- years ago. Because I, I mean, one of my common things that I did when I covered something at city hall, and I'm sure Rachel, you can relate to this. I would go into the license collector's office. Go to the ATM, mm-hmm. make sure I had twenty or forty dollars on me, and made sure that the city of St. Louis parking staff were fully paid for me parking there. So it's mm-hmm. actually and City Hall is one of the cheaper lots and easier lots in downtown. Like that's where I'm just going to park if I go downtown and do stuff, except for like games. But if I'm going down there for reporting, I'll park at City Hall. It, it's so. all good. It so. is the easiest one to get out of. It yeah, is true. I will say it's that very true. in and out. Absolutely. So um, as I kind of alluded to before. Um, the third ward was represented for a pretty long time by Freeman Bosley Sr., your father. Yes, sir. Um, how, how many years was he in office? Wasn't it like he was in office for a while, he stopped and he came back? Or no, was it he was in pretty solidly 20... It's about 33 years. Okay, 33. So he decided to retire. He's, he's, he's over 80 years old, and I think it's fair to say uh, he put in quite a bit of time toward helping the city. Um, what followed was a pretty large primary. I think that there were five or six candidates, um, and it was it was a pretty close race. I think you only won by less than 100 votes. Absolutely. And I wanted you to kind of explain, like you've seen your family campaign for office before. This was the first time you were campaigning. What was the experience like? And what it was especially like campaigning in, in a place like the Third Ward. Uh, and just to clarify, this was the second time I ran for office. Oh. I ran for committee man in August, yes. uh, which I, of course, did not win. Yeah. Um, so I, we really were campaigning for almost a year. We started the campaign for committee man in February mm-hmm. or uh, March. Mm-hmm. And this continued all the way until March again. Yeah. Uh, so as, as far as the experience, um, it, it was not... Uh, for me particularly, any different than how it has been um, my entire life, uh, knocking on doors. The only difference is I'm knocking on them uh, for me in particular now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, I have a different message. My dad is, you know, 83 years old, and, you know, we have, you know, uh, a bit of a, you know, age difference between us. So, you know, I have uh, the utmost respect for him and everything that he's done and the individual that he is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I take everything that I can from him and also, you know, kind of update it to my thoughts and my own ideas also. I read somewhere you're 30 years old. Is that correct? I'm 29. 29. Okay. Close. So second youngest on the board then if Muhammad, John Collins Muhammad's the youngest. He's 25 still. And I think he might be the youngest ever, if I'm not mistaken. He certainly, I can't remember where I Shane so was also. when he was elected. He, he's, he's certainly one of the youngest yeah. ever. And he's part of this youth movement that has kind of crept into the board over the last few cycles. Mm -hmm. I mean, continue, Rachel. Yeah, so I'm just kind of wondering, you said that you take your dad's message, what he had, and kind of advance it into the 21st century. Tell me a little bit about kind of how you you did that. What what parts of his message were you borrowing and bringing forward, and how did you change it up? Well, the his his message in my heart is just passion. I've always seen my father been a passionate individual about, you know, his community and the people that live there. And, uh, when you see that, that itself speaks for itself. Uh, there's no amount of words that can uh, show how much passion this man has 
for his community. So when I talk about his message, his message that's instilled in me is, you know, the people around you are the most important people uh, when it comes down to your working with your community. You know, your community, the people that live there are the ones that you fight for every day and you have to have passion to really do that without a um, a certain type of perspective on the people that you're helping. You know, so for me, I understand that we need a lot of help and his passion has transferred into me and I also have seen a lot of things in City Hall uh, growing up, being on the outside looking in uh, to where, you know, now I'm sitting on the inside looking out. It's like, okay, I saw everything from a well-rounded view beforehand so I can take those things that I saw and implement them, you know, yeah, cause on not, the inside. Because not only was your father an alderman, your your brother was the mayor of the city, Freeman Bosley Jr., and your mother is a committee woman. So you kind of have seen pretty much the executive, the legislative, the political branch. In some ways, even though you're only 29 and you're a newbie, you might be one of the people, of the new people who are, who's coming in with arguably the, the best sense of what he's getting into. Is Now, I have to ask the, the other people that question, but do you think that's a fair assumption right there? Oh, I definitely know what I'm getting into. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I, I, I 100% understand the veracity of this situation. Like, I, I know that this is... Uh, Something that is, it, it is, how would I want to say, um, this is a part of my life that I know I will never forget. I know that I have a lot of opportunity to help a lot of individuals and a lot of people. Yeah, well, let's talk about something that we talked a little bit about before the show. And I was reading the quotes from kind of the overview of the third district race that was, I think, compiled by by you, Rachel. Mm-hmm. One of the things you mentioned was one of the things that's lacking in the third ward is a sense of community and a community kind of consensus from people about what they want policymakers like you to do to make the third ward better. I, I thought we could kind of start talking about that because if you if you're in a place where I live, like the 16th ward or a place like Rachel lives, in, in South Central St. Louis, there often is like a critical mass of, of residents who say they want this park cleaned up or they want this building torn down or they don't want this building torn down. I'm getting the sense that that doesn't really exist in your ward. And I want you to explain why that is and how it affects you being able to do your job. Uh, well, the, the biggest thing is in our ward is we don't have a sense of community. That used to be there. We used to have block captains, block units, and a lot of other things that allowed the community to have an actual base of or network of individuals who help move things along and get things done. You know, over time, things happen. People get older, which is what happened to our block captains. Uh, you know, people got older. A lot of people passed away or moved out of the neighborhood, and you don't have people stepping up. Um, to refill those places, to bring our block stronger, to make sure we have uh, block units or people who are want to be in, people who want to be engaged in the community. Period. Um, you know, and that's what kind of happens over time. And when you get uh, you know a, a solid block, and then you get two or three people that were strong advocates for that block leave that leave that area, or move to a senior citizen home, or pass away, and the grandchildren or the children you know, how would I say, they don't follow that same passion, then you get a broken block. And we have broken blocks all across the ward. So when it comes down to things that we need done, you might have one individual talking about a building that needs to be uh, taken down. And, you know, that one person is not enough when it comes down to having a voice. We all have to collectively be a voice 
uh, to really, really get things done. So, you know, our community is lacking a sense of unity. And, you know, that just comes from over time, people, number one, not feeling like they are involved. And that's a big thing also. A lot of times we expect our um, elected officials to take care of everything. It's over, you know, 9,000, 10,000 people in my area alone. It's impossible for one person to do uh everything so we all have to hold ourselves accountable and at the same time create the network to where we can get things done because everybody has a position to play if you live in the community you have a job to uphold in that community also and whether your job is just making sure your property is uh, clean from the alley to the front of the street every everybody needs to have a job because our community is a work in progress and we all have to put work in to see progress one of the things I noticed at a, at a third ward forum it was I think in the Hyde Park neighborhood is that you know there are there are people People who have moved into the community, you could call them urban pioneers, you could kind of call them whatever you wanted to do, um, younger, some of them maybe longer term residents, but a lot of them are younger and they're also white. And I'm wondering how you kind of balance, you know, the new energy coming in without displacing longer term residents or longer term families who may be sitting there looking like, you know, this is this is our neighborhood. It belongs to us. How you get those two groups sort of working together. Well the, well, the first thing we have to understand, there is a, a large racial divide in Missouri, period. In this state, we all know it's no uh, hidden thing or something that's unspoken. It's not, it's not a secret. No. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> this is one of the most racially divided cities in the, you know, in, in the states, period, you know, in the United States. So uh, the first thing we have to do is look at why there is that disconnect. You know, there is a huge disconnect, and that's that's just not between... Uh, white and black people. That's, I mean, that's white, black, Asian. I mean, we that, we have a large, uh, you know, large racial disparities between, uh, you know, in our community. So uh, when it comes down to serving everyone, I, I have to understand that there are different individuals, different people with different ideas from different walks of life. So keeping everybody included uh, comes down to accepting them for who they are and not expecting them to be something that I would like them to be. So um, whether you're white or black, I understand that you have the same basic needs in this particular neighborhood and you know for us to work together on things sometimes we have to separate so it's hard to come and want to help what's going on in a particular area when you feel like your life is in danger when you get there you know it's hard to want to come down the street and uh, you know tell these individuals to get off the corner or tell these individuals to do this or call the police on somebody when you know the police are coming they'll just point at your house and say it was them you know, we have to create a, a working relationship between the community first, and then we all can come together collectively because we all look at our areas as being separate. We all can live in the third ward, and you can knock on a door two blocks away. Uh, well, you can knock on someone's door, and two blocks away they'll call that, you know, that's not my area. You know, that's not where I live at, and that's just two blocks away. You know, if you shoot a gun two blocks away, you're going to hear it, you know, from this this house that I'm at right now. So, you know, the neighborhood is completely broken up, and it doesn't help having— uh, uh, different names for them all at the same time too. It makes you feel even more separated. So, you know, it's 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 a lot that has to be done, and I think reorganization reorganization is the most important part of it all. If we organize well, then our community has no uh, choice but to work together. How many vacant buildings are in your ward? Uh, we've got over uh, eighteen hundred parcels, and that are those are buildings, lots, billboards. Yeah. Uh, buildings, it's over 488 yeah. um, that have not been touched at all, that are just vacant LRA properties. Yeah, we, We've talked about that with uh, Alderman John Collins Muhammad. It's a major problem in the 21st Ward. 
like to break it down a little bit further. How did it get to a point to where you have so many vacant buildings? And how did this disinvestment happen over a period of time? I mean, I think I know the answer, but I would like you to maybe touch on how that happened and and what can be done to to turn the tide essentially well this this is what happens uh, when I was growing up the the entire war was filled with people you know you would go down the street and you can talk to Mrs. Jones and before you get home she talked to your mother if you did something you weren't supposed to do so those those uh our blocks aren't filled with people like that anymore our people period what happens is uh you know back in uh the time where I was growing up you had more homeowners and we we have about a 70% renters in our ward, if not a little bit more. But um, when you have homeowners, you have the opportunity to pass that home down and you can stay there for 20, 30, 40 years and you pass the house down to your grandchildren. And a lot of time, uh, what has happened is the grandchildren didn't take care of the house or they didn't stay there when they uh, got it passed down to them. So they didn't pay taxes or take care of what was necessary to make sure that they keep the property up or keep the property period. So when the city takes those properties that aren't being kept up and they go into the database on LRA or they go you know, to CDA, wherever they end up at, you have individuals who don't want to buy back into the neighborhood because when you look on the internet or you hear on the news that somebody got shot right down the street or there were gunshots, sure, or there was a crime here. Uh, that's where the disinvestment comes from. People move out and you are afraid to move in. It's not that we don't have nice, beautiful houses or nice places to live. People are afraid to move where we are because the news tells you this is the worst place in the city to be. A colleague of yours, now colleague of yours at the board, uh, Sam Moore, has made a case for more demolition money coming into the neighborhood. What do you think should be done with some of those vacant buildings? Is this a question of demo, rehab, kind of how, in your view, do you tackle that vacant building problem? Well, number one, I I certainly don't think uh, taking down the buildings in my particular neighborhood would be... um, a great thing to do. Um, number one, we've got so many vacant lots that we have a hard time cutting already. The city, uh, you can drive through the third war right now, and I'm sure we could find a hundred open lots that need to be cut as far as grass, uh, with trash and things like that. Um, also, you know, with a lot of the buildings in our neighborhoods, this is an historical, it's an, it's, excuse me, it's an historic area. So, you know, the buildings hold a lot of weight. You can't recreate any of the homes in my neighborhood uh, and, uh, and and that's not the entire third ward, but uh, a large part of the ward has very big, beautiful homes, you know, with 10-foot ceilings on the inside. You got rooms inside a room. So instead of getting rid of these homes, of course, some are dilapidated and really falling apart and can be a danger to the community. I'm 100% with removing those. Uh, but just because they're vacant, I don't think that that's something we should be looking at tearing down. We need to be making sure we're building communities. And the only way to build a community is to have places where people can commune. And if we have to have people coming in, building houses from scratch where we already have beautiful buildings standing, um, I think that is causing us to work backwards as a community. We just have to change the way that people perceive where we live. And that's a collective effort. That's nothing that no one person can do. There are There was 363 crimes in my neighborhood or in the third ward last year. Out of eleven thousand plus people, I mean that is a that's a that's that's a very small amount. That's minute in my eyes, and that is all the way from a murder down to a petty crime and somebody walking in a family dollar and stealing a pack of underwear. You know, so yeah. um, we have to change the perception of 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 the actual North Side in general. Yeah, there are things that happen. You can't 
you know, look away and say that crime is not prevalent. Yes, it happens, but it's not as terrible as the media will portray. Well, this, that was going to be my question, just as I wanted you to break down the, the vacancy issue, which I'm you did an excellent job of doing that. I'd like you to kind of break down what you feel is driving a lot of this crime in North St. Louis. I I have some assumptions, you know, and I and I also have some 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 guesses on from what I've read. I mean, is it the drug trade? Is it poverty? Is it a combination of the things? Is it something completely different? Like what is what is driving people on on in North St. Louis and to some extent South St. Louis to to you know, shoot at each other, essentially. Well, it, it 100 percent comes down to opportunity. And that's 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 that is the, the very bottom of it. We feel like there is not enough opportunities. And you can say all day like a lot of people do. or You know, minorities have a lot of uh, um, uh, opportunities for this and that. But when it comes down to it, we have to first understand the people that we're targeting. And where I grew up at, you have a lot of uh, families who don't have uh, mothers and fathers in the home or don't have. I was one of the only individuals, uh, you know, that was that was uh, lucky enough to have both parents in my house. And even though I had, um, you know, a lot of friends who could call my parents mom or dad, it, it still does not uh, take away the fact that you have to go home sometimes to an empty house or you have to go home and there's only one parent there that might be out hustling trying to pay the bills because they have to sell drugs too. So, uh, what it really comes down to is opportunity. You know, when people uh, are only making $18,000 a year, which is the median income in my neighborhood, um, you know, and you got people making, you know, millions of dollars. You got one of the richest cities in America, you know, Ladue, and, you know, right up the highway, you know, 30 miles away. So, yes, it makes you see things different. It makes you say, okay, you know, somebody got something, and I'm— you know, I'm not being uh, somebody who's receiving. I got to go out and take it. Mm-hmm. So when we bring more opportunities to our neighborhoods and we actually give people an actual opportunity to succeed, be successful, make sure that we start training them up from schools. And that's another big issue. A lot of our schools are shut down. We got a few schools for 11,000 people. Like that is that's crazy. And, you know, we, we you go into some of these schools, you got the, the binders falling off the books. So it's impossible for kids to want to learn, want to pay attention in school. They go to have fun with their friends. Um, you know, and then once it's 2017, you know, mm-hmm. we should have, you know, in some of these schools, they don't even have iPads. They don't have, they have computers still running Windows uh, Millennium or Windows, you know, that, that is What crazy. do we have? Do we have Windows XP or No, something? I think we're at 7 now. Okay, good. But <laughs> continue, Alderman. Yeah. We're in better shape than the St. Louis public schools. Yeah, well, well, the point is, how can you expect children to grow up and do better and be innovative if you're not putting them in situations that allow their mind to be innovative? You know, you have to... to, to, to to train them up to be innovative. Mm-hmm. You have to train them up to want to do better because they have to see better. If you show them that there are uh, opportunities within your schools, within our neighborhoods, and they'll grow up wanting those opportunities opposed to getting a 15, 16, 17 years old, knowing that mom has to pay the bills, you don't have any new shoes for school, and all you don't want to do is be talked about. You know, you just want to go and you know enjoy yourself at school, learn something. It's hard to learn when you're not having a good home life. You know, so we have to work on uh, you know, home. We really, really do. Our families are broken. Our communities are broken. And the way that changes, we have to get our community back together and we have to become that family support system. So one of the, the big opportunity things that always gets talked about in sort of the fifth, third, north side area is 
Paul McKee's development around the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. And I'm just kind of wondering what your thought is about the opportunities that's posed, not only by the NGA coming there, but then the broader McKee redevelopment, which I know your father was a supporter of. I think he carried a couple of pieces of the legislation sort of authorizing the uh, financial assistance for that project. Well, as far as with the NGA period, I think what it says, especially to the people in the neighborhood growing up as a kid, you know, um, excuse me, I believe that the uh, the average income of the people working at the NGA would be somewhere around eighty eight thousand dollars. So that's about right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So to be in a poverty stricken neighborhood where the median income is eighteen thousand and you can go to school, wake up in the morning and drive past a, you know, two billion dollar facility where you know the people in there are eating well living well you know it gives you the 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 mindset to say i can do this i can grow up and walk to work you know i can grow up and really be in program and i can grow up and be some assistance down there even though that facility itself is uh of course not open to the public like that and you have to have certain credentials but the point is you can see that there is real opportunity around you if you work hard for it. You see that things are actually being done. There's nothing worth $2 billion on the north side at all. Yeah. And I think there is a feeling that by virtue of them building that there, there's going to be other development that naturally gets built around it. You hope, yeah. The hope is, you know, whether it be restaurants, gas stations, uh, you know, supermarkets, anything that would be in a place like my neighborhood, St. Louis Hills, that we all have, could just naturally materialize there because the amount of people that will be going to work there every day will have a demand for things. Oh, well, eventually. it will. It certainly will. It'd be, it, you know, it's, <laughs> you, you better believe when that building is being built, there'll be plenty of people wanting to uh, build businesses around mm-hmm. uh, that actual facility. And that'll help the residents, too, because one of the things I always see while driving through North St. Louis is just a dearth of everyday businesses that people need to go to get food, mm-hmm. to, to sit down and eat at a restaurant, to buy clothing. Um, you know, it, again, things that South St. Louisans like myself have the convenience of going to are just not available to people in North St. Louis. Right. And I think that people hope that's the case. I think there are people who are skeptical that it'll actually happen. But do you feel like if that does happen, that could, you know, create more the economic opportunity that politicians talk about all the time, essentially. Well, it, it, it really depends on who is benefiting. And that's what it comes down to, because we have to think about it. There are already gas stations, restaurants, mm-hmm. and a lot of other businesses mm-hmm. in the St. Louis metro area. It might not be right on the north side, but there are plenty of businesses around. And, you know, the people who live on the north side are still living like they're living on the north side. So what it comes down to, those businesses have to affect the community in a way where they're actually giving back. They have to affect the community in a way that all of the other businesses in St. Louis aren't. You know, of course they're going to be there and of course there's money going to be made. But where and, you know, who is it going to benefit? Not only just the business, it needs to benefit the community also. And there's a way... You know, because I think the third ward had a had a schnooks for a while mm. and it yeah. shut down. It's on Grand, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That's in the third ward. That's in the third ward. Okay, yeah. that's okay, in yeah. the third ward. And Grandin I, Casuth or yeah, yeah. right on yeah. Grand. Right Kasuth. on. I drive by it all the okay. time. The on empty Grand shell, the shell of that grocery store. And I imagine that when that shut down, that was a, a big blow to people in in the various neighborhoods that you represent. Because it means, especially if they don't have a car, they have to travel farther to get food. Uh, And is that going to be something that you may be looking at to 
get things like that into your ward over the next few years. Well, McKee has talked about building a grocery store in sort of that north side footprint mm-hmm. near the NGA. So, I mean, I don't know how much how much credence the north side puts into McKee and the promises anymore, but that I think is the hope of at least part of that redevelopment. Yeah, but but I, I'm, I'm interested to hear, I know that that's not an automatic prospect. You got to make sure you talk with a grocery store company. You got to get them to invest in a building. It's not an easy process. But is that is that like a when we're talking about goals, is that something that you would like to do in the next few years? Yeah, yeah, that's certainly a goal. Um uh once again, just like you said, a lot of people on in different parts of town don't have to drive far to get great services. You know, they don't have to drive drive far to to really get the things that they need. So um that is certainly something that I would like to bring to our community more places where people can feel like I have everything I need where I live and a grocery store is 100% uh necessity. Mm-hmm. You know. So let's talk about kind of the the transition at City Hall beyond yourself. So there's six new aldermen and I, I asked you this on inauguration day. It seems like the six new aldermen which include John Collins Muhammad, Dan Gunther, Tom Oldenburg, Sarah Martin, yourself mm-hmm. and uh, Pamela Boyd. It seems like they're working together pretty well behind the scenes, even though they come from different parts of the city. They're from different political factions. It does seem that unlike in maybe past new waves of aldermen, it, there doesn't seem to be a lot of divisions there. And there does seem to be a sincere effort to work together on things. Is that is that a fair thing to say? Or is it just like, this is kind of the early getting to know you period and the divisions are going to show themselves pretty quickly once you get down to brass tacks. Um, well, I, I I think that no one can predict the future, number one, yeah. and we all can be hopeful for the best. I think that right now everyone is making an effort to uh, work with each other, get to know each other a lot better because we all are uh, coming in new. We all are, um, you know, really wanting to do something to help the places where we live. So. Uh, I think that right self, that by itself gives us a uh, uh, a common something in common that we all can see each other and say, I really kind of understand where he is right now. So it gives us, uh, you know, it's, it's easy for us to to work together right now, mm-hmm. and uh, nobody's clicked off or anything like that. So um, let's just you know hope for the best that we can continue to be. Yeah. Uh, I, I think what I was talking about is I, I noticed, for example, that people like Megan Green, Kara Spencer, Jack Coder initially seemed to be working together pretty well. But then when something like a stadium started being debated, although I think those three in particular are on good terms with each other, you saw them divide on that issue. And you're going to see stuff like that happen because there are going to be major issues that people just aren't going to agree with. And yeah, that's, that's, and that's, that's, that's a natural. philosophical and, 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 kind and, of thing. And in yeah. some ways, that's a good thing. Uh, Lewis Reed brings this up all the time, that if the Board of Aldermen was just approving everything unanimously yeah, and yeah. wasn't debating things in a pretty thorough way, first of all, you'd never get compromise on things. You would never force any changes on legislation that might be problematic. And it is kind of the legislative process that there should be disagreement on things. I want to point that out there, right there. Yeah, I mean, I think I'll be, I'm kind of curious too, and, and Alderman as well, is, is you know, not so much that it's a new group working together, but the the additions to sort of the progressive faction, which is, you know, Megan Green, Kara Spencer, Christine, Scott Ogilvie. You lost a little bit with Antonio giving up a seat, but sort of where you know, where, if the power goes more to that faction. So it's less working as, as a freshman class and more aligning along 
sort of values, I guess. And I'm just kind of wondering, you know, where do you think, how do you think the addition of the these six new and there will be a seventh when they fill light a seat mm-hmm. could, you know, move the board in a direction that it was being pushed at already in some ways? Well, I think uh, as long as we come in um, with uh, realistic, innovative ideas that all of the older uh, members of the board uh, will listen because we do have different ears. We do have fresh ideas and um, everybody wants to see the city do better. Mm -hmm. So having six new minds on, you know, uh, inside the Board of Aldermen who have not... uh, once again, had had the time to sit in these uh, positions before or have not sat in these positions before. You know, I, I, I just think it's a great opportunity for everybody all around the board. I'm working with the young, the younger, uh, you mm-hmm. know, that, that new uh, class and the older class, I think we all can, uh, you know, really, really make some things happen because they do have knowledge that we won't have. They've mm-hmm. been in there for a while and we have uh, you know, ideas that they may not have thought about or may have thought about that, you know, we can re-implement or, you know, bring out to the table. Uh, before we get into Crewson, I just want to say for the record that I'm not a huge fan of calling the progressives the progressives because it provides this connotation that people that are progressive are conservative. Um, that's not a knock at you, Rachel, by the way. But I, 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 w- I think we need to think of a different name for that group. Maybe like the the super fun aldermanic caucus or something <laughs> like that. Um, I'm sure they would endorse that name I, I, thoroughly I'm, and completely. I, I think that might be a, a good thing to say from now because, for example, Christine Ingrassi and Ogilvy, Scott Ogilvy and Shane Cohn are kind of on the outside looking in of that entire caucus. Sometimes, but, although but, but Ogilvy I, put, put himself in the catbird seat a couple of times on the stadium funding. I, so. I, I have talked with those people extensively, and they're not conservative at all. No, um, they're but, absolutely not. So uh, they may just be have different ways of going about things. Uh, I didn't mean to get in the, you in the middle of that. Oh, no problem. No problem at all. But I'm sure I, I that you want enjoy- to work with everyone. Yeah, you want to work with them. What do you think of the new mayor? I know that I saw pictures of you and, and John Collins Muhammad meeting with him, meeting with her briefly. Um, what, what are kind of your impressions of her so far? Um, I think that a lot of people are afraid, and they were afraid, and not of Lida in general, but just are afraid in general of where the city is going. You know, I saw the same thing in my ward. You know, it's no different. People are afraid. Uh, me, myself, um, I, I'm i the type of individual where I give every single person around me um, an empty canvas when I meet them, and they are the ones who start to draw the lines and paint the picture. So whoever they are, um, they will eventually, uh, you know, just become what that uh, what that canvas entails, what they paint. So, as far as what I uh, think about Lida so far, I've met with her, I've talked to her, I've sat down and eaten, uh, you know, dinner with Lida. I think um, she's a nice person. Um, I think she really wants to see progress in the city. And, you know, and I just want to touch on something real quick. Nobody, I don't, I don't ever think we're going to all 100% agree on things, and I don't expect, you know, anybody to always agree with anything that I say or always want to just vote with me for, you know, just for the sake of we're friends. So I, I definitely think um, that having a difference in perspectives or opinion is a good thing because you really get to have an open dialogue and hash things out and see things from everybody's well-rounded view. Mm-hmm. And I think um, Lida has a perspective on some things that some people might not get or understand, but that's why we should have dialogue as 
the community, as the Board of Aldermen, as the, you know, the people of the city of St. Louis, sometimes we take the city and we look at it like it's a separate entity. We yeah. say the city of St. Louis, like people don't make up the city of St. Louis. You know, we are, you know, we are the people. So, yeah, it, it's not an esoteric idea. It's a, it's a, it's a geographic area with people in it, obviously. You know, and so, the governmental body. Yeah. And, yeah. Right. Well, I wanted you to, I wanted you to kind of touch on one of the first things that occurred during her, her mayorship and that chief dotson retired literally the first thing literally I think, other thing. than her inauguration right? yeah uh, and um you know th- there have been there had been pretty robust discussion during the mayoral campaign and i'm sure this was discussion during your aldermanic race whether chief dotson should stay in his post mm-hmm. he's gone now right um, what do you think about that first of all and what are you hoping the mayor s- tries to look for in a potential successor because from talking with her this is going to be a nationwide search, potentially. Um, we don't know if it'll be an internal hire or somebody from or outside the city. Or even if they can. That's um, still, I think, kind of up in the air as to whether they could hire outside. But, but but I think like a lot of North St. Louis aldermen and South St. Louis aldermen really want the mayor to be meticulous in, in the search here. I'd like to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, I, I've, I, I would hope she is also, and we take... Um, uh, time to really, really research the individual and their background, what they've done as an officer beforehand, um, you know, what their achievements are. Uh, uh, this this city needs um, an individual who can understand everyone. And if you're a police officer, generally you're there to combat crime and help enforce the law. So when we look at what's going on in the city of St. Louis and we look at crime stats, we look at um, who are the people committing those crimes, the age bracket, we have to first understand them if we want to combat the crime. You know, 90 percent of crime in the city is done by African-Americans, and that is just the truth. I didn't say in America. I didn't say in the United States, but I'm saying in the city of St. Louis, north side, uh, even the south, you know, um, the mass majority of it. Um, Rachel, I just want to make sure. Is that pretty accurate? Yeah, the vast majority of homicide victims and uh, perpetrators are black males between the ages of like 25 and 35. It sounded correct, but uh, Rachel looks at the stats more closely than me. But continue. That is accurate. Yeah. So when it when it comes down to combating it, um, it's not about uh, busting through the door with the guns blazing, because as soon as you take one person down, you'll get another one that comes up to fill the shoes. If we want to combat crime, we have to start being preventative. We have to start putting things in place that stops the crimes before they happen. And, you know, the only way to stop crime before it happens, you have to understand the person who's committing it. If you don't understand them, you know, you'll just, whatever it is that you want to do with them, will fly right past them. It'll go right over their head. We need a police chief who understands uh, the individuals who are committing these crimes so we can start being more preventative opposed to combative. The only way for us to see a change in crime is for us to start putting measures in place for those people who are committing the crimes to where that never happens. Of course, we won't have a utopia, but if you understand the mass majority of why crime is taking place, then you can put things in place of the necessary steps to actually be two steps ahead of crime before it happens. And that's what our police chief has to pay attention to. He has to be invested in stopping crime before it stops and not just uh, uh, doing everything he can to lock up the individuals who are committing crimes. Because as soon as you take one person away, another one will pop up. You can lock people up all day long, but there are still going to be shooters out here. There's still going to be drug dealers out here. Crime is still going to happen if you're not fighting crime before it turns into crime. 
And crime only starts the majority of the time, especially where I'm from. It's from poverty. It comes from not having the resources you need. It comes from lack of opportunity. So the police chief has to be more than just a police officer. He has to be more than just a police chief. He has to be someone who's compassionate uh, and passionate about helping communities do better and not just doing everything he can to lock those up, lock those individuals up who are... uh, you know, wreaking havoc or being detrimental to the community because it's not always that individual's fault sometimes. And, I, you know, I'm not saying that everybody isn't held accountable for their actions, but sometimes you have to look at people's backgrounds and you have to pay attention to why they do what they do and not just this is what was done. I want to thank you for coming on the show and talking with us. We'll be looking forward to having you back in the subsequent months and years, just as we will the, the rest of the new Alderman. We're halfway, we're halfway done. We have I three don't know. <laughs> yeah, you, I wasn't here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rachel was gone on. I think you were in Boston. I was, was in Boston, Boston, coming back from Boston on the day of the inauguration. Wa- wa- watch, so. watch, oh, really? watching everything from uh, the Bean City. From the Bean, yeah, I don't know. I Is think it the so. Bean it's City? Be- Bean Town. Bean Town. Bean Town. <laughs> that just shows how little I know about other places besides St. Louis. Anyways, <laughs> for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Rachel on Twitter at at our Lipman two P's and two N's. And how could people follow? you on Twitter, Facebook, any other place on the World Wide Web? Uh, on Facebook, uh, you can just type in my name, Brandon Fraser Bosley. I pop up in a suit and a smile. Oh. And uh, Twitter is just BF Bosley at B-F-B-O-S-L-E-Y. Very good. We'll see you all next time. Until then, so long. So